BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey, everybody, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. This week, he is known for his brash, bare knuckles brand of politics. Democratic campaign consultant Gary South is going to join us. South helped mastermind Gray Davis's 1998 campaign for governor, earning him a reputation for, shall we say, profanity and no holds barred politicking. He'll join us to talk about the election, including perhaps the L.A. mayor's race and Governor Newsom's possible run no, for president. Scott, but no he told you, Marisa, president. he's going to serve four years. Yeah, I think that that promise to me at KQED and you are you going to really, take it to the bank? Yeah, I mean that changes really the trajectory of American politics. Let's, let's be honest. Let's just tell people maybe for those who yeah. may not know that we uh, we we hosted co-moderated the debate on Sunday at KQED with the uh, governor and uh, Brian Daly, who is the Republican. And they both showed him. up. Which, they both showed you know. up. There was it was touch and go for a few days there uh, behind the scenes uh, drama. But and one of the first questions that we asked you asked is, will you commit to serving four years? And his answer was yes. For somebody who is so loquacious and has word salad for dinner and lunch and breakfast. One word answer. Yes. Well, actually, yes. And then he launched into an aside about. I, I can't even remember. But um, yeah. that, that was the point. <laughs> exactly. No, no, no little clip there. But, you know, I do think, look, like we all know that there is a chance that the president doesn't run again and that it will be a wide open field. And certainly Gavin Newsom has been positioning himself in states like Florida and elsewhere, um, you know, Interestingly, Ron DeSantis, his would-be debate uh, uh, <laughs> opponent, you know, he's challenged the governor of Florida to a debate, wouldn't answer that question in his own gubernatorial debate. Will you, you know, commit to not running for president well, he, in the middle of your term? And he said basically, I refuse to say yes, right? Or right. did he just say nothing? He said nothing, I nothing. think. Okay. And then, yeah, so <laughs> different strategies. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think different positions for them in terms of, you know— he, the governor would like to be seen as an ally and supporter of Joe Biden. Ron DeSantis has some reason to well, maybe make Trump What about Kamala Trump Harris, swept. too? I right. mean, you know, he would have to run against her. And we, we, our guest, by the way, has a slightly different theory about Gavin Newsom and right. what he's doing or not doing in 2024. Well, let me ask you this, though, Scott. Go. You've done some debates before. Yeah. You uh, did John Cox and um, Gavin Newsom four years ago. You might remember John Cox ran for the Republican yes. <laughs> governorship. What do you think, like, in terms of just, like, how would you rate that one 
compared to past ones? And, and yeah, what's your big takeaway? Well, of course, you know, Newsom was was not the incumbent, you know, so he had in some ways more to prove. Um, and, you know, he and John Cox were seated across the room from each other. On Sunday, Newsom and Daly literally could touch elbows. That and was I, our fault. That Well, that was our plan. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think um, I think we were all surprised. None of us knew going into it. Like, how would Newsom even look at Brian Daly? Would he look at us when he And he went after Brian Daly right from the get-go. And it was there was some heat in the room. And I, I don't remember that so much uh, with John Cox and Gavin Newsom. You know, they got up at the end and shook hands, which they did on Sunday as well. But I just sensed that this, for some reason, uh, was more, maybe it's the political climate. But uh, in this one, Gavin Newsom was just really loaded and ready uh, he, to he, go. He ate his Wheaties that morning, I think is what we would have said in the 80s, right? He did. And, you know, on the flip side of that, I think, you know, Brian Daly does not have, he doesn't have a lot of money. He's not really on TV at all. Uh, he's not well known. And yet this was his, so this was his biggest opportunity to right. get in front of as many people as possible. And I would say, you know, if I were analyzing, which I guess we are right now, uh, you know, he didn't make full best use of that time. Uh, his He had a few pat answers about, uh, you know, you're throwing money at things and there are no results. Um, you know, your talk slick and all that. But, you know, in the end, and I think this is a, uh, maybe a problem or at least a situation if it's, uh, for Republicans generally, he didn't have a lot of alternatives. You can cri- It's easy to criticize on homelessness and climate change and all the rest, gas prices. What are you, what is your mm-hmm. plan? And I think yeah. that's where he fell short. Yeah. I, I will note, you know, the other... We, we got into some deep policy discussions, um, but, the, you know, the two quick hits at the top were this question to Newsom about whether he'd serve four years and to Daly about whether he thinks Joe Biden's the actual president. And he said yes, um, which, you know, I, I've just been thinking a lot about, like, what it means to run as a Republican in California right now, given the national kind of environment. He followed it up with a dig at Biden and whether he's, like, awake and, you know, aware of what's happening. But which I Newsom think, jumped all over yes. for, yeah. But I do think it's a fascinating kind of thing that that he has to sort of walk this line. You do, you know, if you want any hope of getting more than just the Republican base, you need to be a little more conciliatory to in a state where Joe Biden won by five million votes, you know, and he really he really didn't do that. Okay, let's just move along before we bring in our guest uh, PPIC poll out this week. A very uh, one of the gold standards, I'd say, of polling in California. Newsom Galley, no surprise there. Newsom well ahead. I guess the one sort of headliner in that was Prop 30, the measure to raise income taxes on millionaires, people earning $2 million and more to fund um, climate change goals and rebates for buying electric cars and also firefighting. That one has now fallen quite a ways below 50%. It started off about 55 I think, in the PPIC poll. Now it's down to 41%. And really, you have to say the one thing that's changed is, you know, Gavin Newsom has been on TV saying don't vote for it. And people are starting to do Pay some attention. reading. And yeah, I think it's probably a combination. Um, yeah, I mean, this is one of those fascinating ones where I do think, and we've talked about it on the show before, it is just sort of strange bedfellows. And you kind of have to like read between the lines to understand why someone like Newsom would be opposed to it. I also think that there might just be a chance that voters aren't in the mood to raise taxes when things look very uncertain economically um, and or maybe even spend money, honestly. Yeah. Well, and also I was talking to Mark Baldessari, the pollster uh, from PP. I see about this. And he said, you know, the burden of uh, convincing is always on the yes side. You know, yeah. otherwise people have a default of voting no. And when you start getting conflicting messages from people you trust, you know, and in this case, Newsom saying no, environmentalists and the Democratic Party saying yes. So if you're right. a Democrat, you're a little confused. What do you do? You vote no. I think that's yeah. that's uh, that's part of it as well. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we return, we're going to be joined by Democratic political consultant, 
Gary South. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos, and we are happy to have with us this week one of the most colorful figures in California politics, I think it's fair to say. His career took off when he helped Gray Davis become governor in 1998, earning him the nickname along the way, South the Mouth. (laughs) Gary, he sounds like a professional wrestler to me, but Gary South, welcome to Political Breakdown. Thank you. Great to be here. So first of all, Does your mom you... call you South <laughs> the, mouth, the Mouth? South the Mouth. <laughs> um, well, I want to ask you about how you got that. But first, what did you think of the debate? And I'm sure like everyone across California, you watched every single minute. I did, actually. Um, and I want to start off. I'm not trying to suck up to you so you go easy on me. But I just want to start off by congratulating and complimenting both of you for the great job you did moderating that one and only debate. Um, Thank you. you know, I, I hope the sponsors and the moderators of future presidential debates, um, you know, take note and inspiration because I think that the format you used in the back and forth between the candidates and you as moderators was really unusual and and very productive. And I like the aspect of no time limits on responses. I mean, one of the real frustrating things about debates, and I've prepared a lot of candidates for debates, you know, is uh, what is your proposed solution to all the problems in the world? Then you have 30 seconds. I mean, yeah. it's just. Yeah, that was just, that was our frustration, too. We didn't, we didn't want to get there and do that. I mean, it is a bit of a risk to give them sort of like as much time as they want. But, but Gary, flattery will get you everywhere. Yeah, so, so we're going to go know, really easy yeah. on you now. Uh, no, but seriously, thank you for the kudos. But uh, did, did you agree that uh, Brian Daly? I mean, you know, look, he, it's, it's a tough a, job. It's a tough job. There's very little chance he's going to win. No Republican has won statewide since 2006. But. You know, do you think he could have used the time better? Well, you know, I'm trying not to be biased, although, you know, I'm, I'm for Newsom and I used to work for Newsom. But I, I just thought that Daly, he, he didn't look well prepared. He didn't look well briefed. I mean, it, it, it almost looked like one of his staffers in the state Senate had kind of briefed him on his way, you know, into the restroom on the way into the studio. I mean, it, he had nothing really specific to say but a bunch of talking points, like you pointed out, Scott. And, and he didn't have any solutions. And I thought he was really slow on the draw when he was asked questions. I mean, I thought it was a, honestly, I mean, that wouldn't have been a good debate performance in a state Senate campaign, certainly not in a gubernatorial campaign. Yeah. Well, and it probably won't change the math because we've seen Newsom just running away by 20 points. And, you know, he did beat that recall last year. But let's talk about the more fun thing to talk about, which is Newsom's, uh, well, Sub-zero aspirations for presidency, uh, even as he runs these ads. You've written some columns, though, 
arguing he's kind of filling a void regardless of whether he has his eyes on the White House. That is my view. And I believe he's doing a great job of it. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the one of the really big questions we Democrats have is that, you know, we have something called the Democratic National Committee. I actually used to work for it, you know, back in the Carter days. And we have somebody called an, a, a Democratic National Committee chairman, right, whose name is Jamie Harrison. And it's like, wh- where is this guy? I mean, it, we, we don't we simply don't have. Biden is, is, you know, bless his heart, Biden is, I think, too imbued with that sort of false bonhomie in the U.S. Senate, you know, for, for decades, to really be a particularly good gut fighter on behalf of Democrats. And I think he's doing a better job now than he was earlier in his term. But we just don't have anyone out there day to day pounding on the Republicans. Isn't and that we, usually the, the vice president's job? Well... It is, yes. But this particular vice president, I mean, I I don't want to be too ad hominem here about Kamala Harris, but I just think that her her value in this whole democratic process is so devalued, uh, if you can say value was devalued, because she's just not very good. I mean, I got to say that in all honesty. She's just not very sharp in terms of her argumentation. Uh, her pre- her manner of presentation just doesn't come off to me being very sincere, and and I again I hate to criticize her and I honor her and respect her for her historical fact that she's the first woman vice president she's the first vice president of color she's from California, but I I just don't think she's a very good performer to be perfectly honest with you I just don't and I don't think you can send her out. Uh, to, to throw sharp elbows, because I don't think she's got the credibility or the standing to do that, unfortunately. But, yeah. It's funny, though, because it felt like in the last, you know, Democratic uh, primary, which, you know, now feels like, I don't know, a century ago and <laughs> since yeah. COVID and all that. But there was this sense that, like, it would be hard to get the nomination as a white man, let's be honest, right? I mean, of course, Biden proved that wrong, but it seems like some of that calculation has changed. And I just wonder if you think that's because, yeah, of, of the blowback or because, you know, Harris hasn't risen to the challenge, maybe. Well, I don't quite know how to answer that question. I do think that, you know, we did have a we did have a president, Democratic president of color just recently. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's, it's but you know a, what I mean like there was kind of this narrative that like it it was not the year in 2020 you know for and then Biden proved that all wrong so I guess like what 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 can we even say now in 22 about 24 Gary <laughs> you tell us well here's what I would say and I don't you know I I hesitate to 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 speculate uh in great detail about 2024 because there's a lot we don't know about it we don't know if 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 Biden is really going to run again. Yeah, although it's an he, eternity. And he has to say that, he, that he's going to run. But, you know, here's what I would tell you. I, I think there are two different parts of this dynamic that I'm looking at as a Democrat. One is that if Biden does run, um, how good of a candidate will he be the second time around? And, and that's a concern for Democrats. I mean, he'll be over 80 years old. He's already the oldest president in history by far. And uh, you know, he's, 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 I mean, God bless him. I think he's lost a step or two. Um, if you compare him today, for example, to 
the 2012 campaign when he and Obama were running for re-election, uh, you know, I thought he ate. I thought I thought he ate Paul Ryan for lunch in the debate, the vice presidential debate they had. Um, he's he's just he's not that, uh, you know, he's not that sharp anymore as a as a as a as a gut fighter as a as a candidate as a debater. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I just think that I just think that Kamala Harris is. God, I hate the word hate hate the word uh, use the word useless, but. I just don't see the value that she's bringing to this administration and this ticket to be all. Yeah, be- but could somebody like a Gavin Newsom or you know, just, just Pete Buttigieg or you know a, a white guy run against her in a primary and not just get you know really scalded? I think that would be very difficult, Scott. And I've said this. I haven't said this publicly. I've said it kind of behind the scenes to a lot of reporters who asked for my speculation about the the kind of the dynamic of what will happen in 2024. But let's say that Biden does not run. And, you know, Kamala Harris has already run for president once, so it isn't like she doesn't want to be president. Didn't do it very well, by the way, which is a concern to to me as a Democrat. But let's say that she decides she's going to step up to the plate and run for president on her own in 2024. She is, as I said, the first female vice president in the history of the United States of America and the first person of color ever to serve in that role in the history of the United States of America. She is a historical figure. And in the Democratic base, there will be some deference accorded to her by Democrats, particularly by females and by blacks, because of her status as the first female vice president and her status as the first black vice president. And it's not that I don't think she gets it for free, by the way. I don't think that everyone's going to stand stand down if Kamala Harris runs because she ran a pretty pathetic campaign when she ran for president in 2020. No one's going to be afraid of her and no one is going to be put off by the sense that she's going to run some juggernaut of a campaign because she didn't do it in 2020. Yeah. But but there's going to be some pushback to anyone, whether it be Gavin Newsom or anyone else running against the first female vice president, the first black vice president, who has, you know, a certain right to try to step up if, if yeah. the boss if the boss decides to 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 stand down. And so I do I do think that it would be a a, a very difficult dynamic for anyone, Gavin Newsom or anyone else, to take her on, even though again, I don't think she gets it for free, even if Biden, if Biden steps aside. I mean, I think she will be contested in the Democratic primary process simply because there's a lot of concern about how good of a candidate she really would be as the presidential nominee. Well, let's ask, let me ask you about something a little closer to home and more immediate, which is the LA mayor's race happening right now. Uh, Speaking of, you know, well, a lot, there's a lot of actually parallels there. Cross currents. Karen Pass is running. She's a Congresswoman, um, black woman against billionaire developer Rick Caruso. And I think it seemed before the primary, like he had some serious momentum. He's, he's poured a ton of his own money into this. How do you think it's looking now just a few weeks out? Well, without divulging any um, inside information, I mean, I think this race is really closed up Hmm. and you may not remember this or even have known this, but you know, in 1993, I was communications director to Mike Wu when he was running for mayor of Los Angeles against a white, a rich white Republican, uh, Dick Reardon. Mm-hmm. And 
we ended up in the runoff with Reardon. Uh, Reardon spent, by the way, $10 million out of his own pocket getting elected mayor. And by the way, to put that in perspective, that was more money than Barbara Boxer spent successfully running for the U.S. Senate statewide <laughs> in 1992, one year before. She spent $9 million bucks. He spent 10. We thought that was outrageous. Rick Caruso is now in excess of $80 million. Is that just, so does that just say, you know, money talks? I mean, we, as you know, 1998, Al Checky spent a bunch of money against Gray Davis and you guys crushed him with the, with the slogan, experience money can't buy. So, I mean, there's a, as you know, California politics littered with millionaires, billionaires who have run and lost. What's different now? That's true, but it, it happened in 1993 in the L.A. mayor's race. Dick Reardon won that. And by the way, Dick Reardon, of whom I'm no fan, by the way, but... <laughs> I think the feeling's mutual. <laughs> Dick, Reardon, Dick Reardon at least had the integrity to retain his Republican registration running for mayor of this heavily Democratic city, which is more than I can say for Rick Caruso. I mean... The guys all over the air with tens of millions of dollars of ads saying, I'm a proud Democrat. I'm a proud Democrat. I mean, the guy's been a Democrat for 15 friggin' minutes. And his conversion was not one of conscience. It was one of convenience. Hmm. And the notion, the notion somehow that this guy changed his party registration after a lifetime of being a Republican just to run for mayor of L.A. is a sense that that. I think a lot of Democratic voters have that he is a complete fraud and a phony. Hmm. Now, he may be the mayor of L.A. I don't know. I think this is very close. I think it's too close to call. Uh, the polling certainly looks like he's creeped up on um, on Karen Bass. Uh, I still think that Bass pulls it out, but but we'll see. By the way, just put the 80 million in context, Scott. When I ran Governor Davis's re-election campaign in 2002, which was under very difficult circumstances, as you know, his numbers were in the toilet. Um, we had, you know, two self-financing millionaires, Dick Reardon in the primary and then Bill Simon in the general. You know what our total spending was during that four-year period of his first term leading up to the re-election campaign? Tell us. We raised and spent $78 million. And barely won, I might Caruso, add. Caruso <laughs> has now exceeded that. Yeah. It's it's beyond belief. Yeah. Beyond. Well, Gary, we like to ask uh, about people's bios a little bit. Like, how did you get to where you are? And I know we, we don't have a ton of time. I know you grew up uh, in Montana. You were the youngest, I think, of four boys. Condolences right. to your mom. I don't know what that was like. <laughs> um, working class family. Mom was a maid. Dad was a carpenter. And you ran for president, class president, I think, at the University of Montana. And you won, right? I did. Yeah. So we, I always love to ask this question. Do you remember your campaign slogan? I didn't have one. <laughs> what? <laughs> was that when the political bug bit you? Did you have walking around money or what? I mean, how did you? Uh... I'll tell you, this, this was my campaign poster right here. <laughs> oh, my God. Our radio listeners can't see that, but that is the a hair very looks nice the same, photo we'll of Gary that. South. <laughs> you know who signed it for me? Who? Carol O'Connor, it looks like. Carol O'Connor, oh who, who is a fellow alum of the University of Montana. <laughs> but... Um, that's the only campaign that I ever ran on my own behalf, and I did I did win. Um, but uh, did you I do oppo research on the other senior you were running against. <laughs> I had I had two opponents. 
one of whom was a declared candidate, one who was a write-in candidate. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was a pretty brutal campaign because I got to tell you, and I've said this over and over, college politics is one of the most vicious kinds of politics that you'll ever run into. I mean, it, it, it sometimes makes real politics out in the real world pale by comparison. I mean, part of it is you're there for only four years. In my case, I actually took seven to get my BA because I took a lot of time off. But college politics is really vicious. You're, you're there. You may never see these people again. And uh, it, it uh, you know, I, I would never run for office again. I've been, I've been asked many times by people, um, why don't you run for office yourself? I ran my brother's campaign for the state legislature in Montana in my home state. That was my first winning campaign while I was still in college. And when people ask, have asked me that in the past, I've said, no, I'm not gonna run for office myself and I'll give you two words why. And when they have asked why, I said, Lexus Nexus. <laughs> well, that's, I think, a good transition. I mean, we, we did say we were going to explain why you've been known as South the Mouth. And I mean, it's fair to say, I think we described it as bare knuckles at the top. <laughs> what, you know, a lot of voters say they don't like negative politics, but clearly it works. So talk about that. I mean, if, is there a particular campaign, maybe the Reardon primary where you derailed him uh, that you could talk about, like, what's your strategy been? And do you ever worry that, like, what you might be doing on behalf of candidates is turning off the electorate? Well, actually, uh, let me expose the fact that I do have a conscience. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, got that. Check. He says, no, I'm just kidding. The process does bother me, to be honest with you. And, And it's, you know, I've been one of the practitioners of the dark arts. And uh, I did in the campaigns that I've run, I did what I thought I had to do to serve the interests of the candidate that I was working for. And I did have some limits on myself, at least I think I did. Um, I never, for example, ever went after a candidate's family, never went after their kids, never went after their spouse. I mean, I thought that that was really off limits in, in the campaigns that I've run. I mean, even when George W. Bush was president, I had a lot of reporters, national reporters call me, you know, when his daughters would get in trouble, his twin girls would get in trouble and wanted me to, you know, shoot my mouth off about it. And I said, I don't have anything to say about it. I'm not going to talk about it. On the record. (laughs) Yeah, well, but um, I I do think that this process has really degenerated. And, it, you know, I haven't done a campaign since 2016 on behalf of a candidate. And there are, there's a reason why. I just, I don't feel that in this day and age, when this thing basically goes down to the lowest common denominator almost instantly in almost every competitive campaign, I do not think that's healthy for the electorate. And I do not think that it's healthy for the system. However, having said that, the voters are somewhat to blame here as well in that they are so inattentive for the most part and they don't really grab onto the positive messages that you put out there. They don't. And so basically the way you get them, their attention is to hit your opponent over the head with a frying pan as often as you possibly can. Well, I got to ask you, we're getting short on time. Who gave you the nickname, the mouth? Uh, our, our distinguished senior Senator, Diane Feinstein. <laughs> 
What were the circumstances? I'll tell you exactly what they were. So in the lead up to the 1998 governor's race, remember that until she decided to opt out, there was a lot of thought that she was going to run in 1998. I mean, she had already run once in 1990, so clearly wanted to be governor. And, you know, Greg Davis at that point, lieutenant governor, was, was you know, in all the field polls, you know, God rest the field polls soul. But, you know, he was running fifth or sixth in, in, in the Democratic field. I mean, Leon Panetta was running ahead of him and Dianne Feinstein was running way ahead of him. And remember, too, that that Dianne Feinstein and Gray Davis had run against each other in 1992 for the short Senate seat. And, and she 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 creamed him. Right. He compared so, her to Leona Helmsley in the ads. What I was trying to do, what I was trying to do was to keep Davis in in the in the in the storyline, basically. And so when reporters would call me about you think Dianne Feinstein is going to run, you think Feinstein is going to run. I had to somehow say something to give, get Dick Gray Davis in the storyline. And so I got a call by the Wall Street Journal asking me about whether I thought Feinstein was going to run. And the way I uh, responded to it was I said, well, you know, she may or she may not. But I have to say to you, in all honesty, if you look at the facts and you look at history, the notion somehow that she's an 800-pound gorilla in California politics is disproven by her own electoral history. Let's take it off. She ran for governor in 1990 and got got beaten by a bland white guy, Pete Wilson. She did run for the Senate and get elected in 92, but it was against an appointed senator who had never held off, had never you know, been elected statewide. And it, two years later, she almost got beat by a guy in an empty suit named Michael Huffington. Yeah. Still the mouth. Oh, still still the, the mouth. There's the mouth. <laughs> we are out of time, Gary South. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Always fun. That is it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineer is Seal Muller and our producer is Guy Marzarati. Do you need help filling out your ballot? Go to KQED's voter guide at kqed.org slash voter guide. And if you missed that governor's debate, you can watch it on KQED's YouTube channel. For today, I'm Marisa Lagos. And you can I'm find Scott. me on Twitter. <laughs> and I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I won't tell you where. Thanks so much. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.